Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to worship you in the study of your word. We ask that you guide and lead us as we look at, at your word to help build our faith and our confidence in you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 7. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks receives, and he that seeks finds, and to him that knocks it shall be open. For what man is there of you whom, if his son asks bread, will give him a stone? Or if, his son, or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So we're going to look at this uh, statement. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every man that asks receives, and he that seeks finds, and to him that knocks it shall be opened. This verse is brutalized by a lot of the name, and, name it and claim it denominations who say, well, you just ask for it, and you're going to get it. And this isn't quite what God is doing because he's going to go and, and relate it to uh, fathers giving their children things. And if you're a good parent, you don't give something that's going to harm your child, even if they want it really bad and they beg and they plead and all of that. And God is a good parent. He's not going to give us things that will harm us. And the thing about this is sometimes the things that harm us are not the things we normally would think of. I've over my lifetime seen many people who have gotten blessed by God with material goods and then they start leaving the church so they can play with their material goods. <laughs> and you would say, well, it was good that they got it. Well, no, it was actually a pretty bad thing that they got these goods because it, it took them away from God. So we want to be careful and I do believe that God, when he's saying this, ask and it shall receive is ask the things that are going to be of good. He promises us he's going to meet all of our needs. That's, our, that's his promise now. And we've said this over many times. In America, we have problems. We think need, some of our wants are needs because we are so affluent in this country okay. that uh, if you don't have three meals a day and you're not living in a house with, with three bedrooms and you only needed one and you don't have uh, a TV in every bedroom and the garage and the exercise room and the study and you don't have two cars at least in the garage and hopefully an extra one beyond what you need so you have the spare one and we tend to think those are needs rather than great blessings. And this is something we have to be careful of. God says, if we ask, and this word is to actively ask, and he's, he says to ask, you shall receive. And if we seek, and this seeking is not just, okay, God, I'm kind of looking around, but this is desperately seeking, is this word in the Greek. It's, we seek with the idea of finding it's the idea that if you've lost your car keys and you have to be at work in 20 minutes and you have a 15 minute drive you are seeking for those car keys <laughs> with a vengeance and this is that kind of idea you are seeking to find you're, you're not just kind of well if I happen to find if I happen to find this it's okay and we've all been there at times you know I'd really like to find this item but it's not really important that I find it so we don't actively seek it we look around a little bit you know glance around but we don't search but God's saying if you search you will find and this is something that is so precious for us and it says we knock it shall be open and God is saying knock seek ask he wants to give us like any good parent he wants to give us good things but again, he's not going to give us things that are going to harm us unless there's a test involved, which as these people who I've talked about, I've seen it over and over. They get material things and then they drift away from God because they've got to use their, you know, got to use that camper I have. So, I, you know, and the only time I've got to use it is Saturday and Sunday. So I've got to use it. And before long, you haven't seen him in church for, for ages. You know, I've got to use my speedboat. You know, I've told people I would love to have a boat. The only problem is I'd never be able to use the thing because I'm, I'm busy on, on the weekends with church stuff. So I would never get to use it. It would be fun to have. I've always enjoyed going out on the water, but it's just not going to be something. 
I hope maybe in heaven I'll get to use a, get a boat and be able to go boating, you know, because I'll have plenty of, a lot more free time in heaven. Uh, here, there, there's the crystal sea. <laughs> Don't have to worry about storms either. <laughs> eh. If not, God will give me something that's even better. There you go. You can walk on water. <laughs> walk on water. <laughs> I don't know if that would be as much fun as boating on water, but. <laughs> but then the example here, God says if you ask for things, he'll give you. And then his example, I love this. For what man of you is there if his son asks bread will give him a stone? Basically, God is saying if, if you as evil, sinful beings can be good to your children, how much less would God do? You know, how much more would he do for us when we, would, we wouldn't do that? You know, if, our, if our child asked us for food, we're not going to, oh, here, chew on this rock. Yeah, especially if we can do anything for them. But you know, we're not going to sit there and say, here, chew on a rock for a while. You're hungry? Here, have some, have some rock. Uh, you know, he asked for a fish and give him a serpent. You know, give him something that's going to harm them. And that's why he says in verse 11, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts, how much more? And I love that because in, in Greek it's how much, much more will God do for us? You know, it's kind of hard because so many people have this very harsh view of God. They have this picture of God sitting up in heaven with a baseball bat waiting for us to stick our head up to, to ask for anything from him so he can pound on us. Uh, have this view, vision of God that he's just up there waiting to say no to us. And that's a very sad vision to have of God. He has so much grace, so much mercy, so much love for us that he wants to bless us. The only reason he won't bless most of us is because he looks at us and says, if I blessed you, you would use it on yourselves and not for the kingdom. And it's not good for us to be getting those blessings. But he is up there wanting to bless. He's wanting to give. He wants people to have. But he knows also that we will then, if we're not very careful, use it on ourselves. And it's not wrong to buy nice things. I don't want to get to the point where people, you know, we get some people who are ascetics. You know, you can't have any nice things. You know, if God gives you it, give it all back to God. Well, yes, God wants us to give back to him, but he's not saying that we can't spend some of it on ourselves. It's not wrong to have a nice house. It's not wrong to have nice furniture, nice clothes, even a nice car or vehicle. I'm sure that Abraham had very nice things with his wealth, and Job had very nice things before he went through his trials. But they honored God, and they honored him first, and they kept honoring him. And this is the important thing when God blesses us, that we say, God, I want to give back to you. Minimum, what he says, the tithe, but, you know, but staying faithful to him. When he gives us stuff, we still are faithful to services. We're still faithful to the church. We're still faithful to, to give back to God. Not because he needs it. And this is the one thing we keep going. God is not asking us to give to him because he needs the money. God has everything. He owns everything. He does not need us. It is for us to show that we trust him. When we give back to him, it is us showing that we trust him enough to honor him with what he's asked us to do and say, God, thank you. It really is a thank you. The tithe is a thank you. And, well, I'm going to say the tithe is the requirement. The offering is the thank you in my mind when you go above the tithe because I really truly believe that God expects the tithe. Even in our day and age, and I, and I hear people go, well, it's not ever mentioned in the New Testament. But one thing I'll say about this in the New Testament, Jesus always intensified all the laws. He said that if you think a lustful thought, you've committed adultery. And if you hate your brother or speak angrily against your brother, you've committed murder. So my question when people say, well, it's not in the New Testament, it's not a law. Okay, so how much more then are you, are you giving? Because I really do believe that the, the tithe is what he requires. And he blesses the tithe, but I think he really blesses offerings. Because that's above and beyond, and it's just a gift to him that says, I love you, God. Well, most of that is knowing what God wills by being in his word, because he wills a lot more than we think he does. He wills that we will walk in perfection. He wills that we will 
honor him. He wills that we will spend this time. It's, so we, we pray pretty weakly on a lot of different things. You know, God, if you will, if, you, if it's your will, let me reach somebody for Christ. Well, I can tell you right off the bat, that is his will. It's already Just get out there and do it. God, give me the people, you know, show me the people that you want me to speak, speak this way to. God, you want me to be victorious over the sin. We know he wants us to be victorious over the sin. We need to say, God, I am asking you, make me victorious over this sin area in my life. He wants to do those things because those are great blessings, and he wants to illustrate his power over those things. Now, God, give me a million dollars. He's going to say, what do you want a million, million dollars? Well, because, I, you know, God, I want to have the house up in the back, on the backside of Wallapai where all the millionaires live, and I want to get a nice car and all this. And he's probably going to say no to that kind of gift. Not that it's wrong to be a millionaire, but if you're going to just look to spend it on yourself, he's just going to say, no, this is not good for you. Now, if he gave you $10 million and you used a million or two of it for yourself but gave most of it away to him, there's nothing wrong with being the millionaire in that process. Yeah, but how many people are going to do that? Very few. There are people in history that have done that. Oh, sure. There are several of the na big names we know that have become millionaires who have given God 90% of the money and lived on 10% and still ended up being a millionaire. It, it can happen, but it takes the right attitude. And this is one thing I, I hear a lot of people go, when I win the lottery, I'm going to give, my, I'll give the church a tithe. I'm going, well, no, you won't, because you're not giving a God the tithe of what you're making now. You're not going to give it when you, when, you, when you have a big amount of money. Well, do you think that's right to give something that you got from the lottery? You probably shouldn't be gambling, but if you got it, you might as well give, might as well give God part of it back. There's a lot of arguments on that, and I'm not going to get into that. That's, again, it's going, to come back to, it's going to come back to each individual. And I know there are churches that would not accept any money if they knew that it, was, that it had come from that, from that format. If we ever had to deal with it, I'd have to think about it and pray about it. But uh, if somebody wanted to give it, I probably wouldn't say no, because God can still use whatever it is that comes his way. And I understand because there are a lot of there are a lot of people that are just so dogmatic. Well, gambling's wrong, so we won't. Am I going to examine how everybody got every penny that they gave to the church and figure out whether I should be taking it or not? Especially where we live, they might have been down in Laughlin and hit it big, you know, and and won won a thousand dollars, and they give a hundred dollars in as a tithe. We're not going to go and say where'd this hundred dollars come from? He says between them and God, where the money came from. Everything really is between them and God. Their, the way they live, the way their life, the, the, how they get their money, their lifestyle, their living. Now, that does not mean that everything is right and that it will be accepted because it is the point where we say, no, this is sin, this is not sin. And gambling is one of those kind of gray areas. It's probably not a wise thing to be doing, but there is no verse that says, thou shalt not gamble. Now, there's people who take principles and say, I can't gamble. And I understand that, and I have no problem with that. But it would be a whole lot easier when somebody says, well, can I gamble? Well, I don't know. <laughs> God says, don't be foolish with your money. Can somebody gamble without being foolish with their money? Eh, if they're looking at it as entertainment and they're not looking to walk away with a, you know, trying to get rich quick, then, it would, then it's probably no different than going to the, to the movie theater and spending 30, 40 bucks <laughs> going to see a movie with, with popcorn and sodas and all that stuff. So again, it would come down to between that individual where they're at because everything comes down to you know certain things we know are wrong don't kill don't steal don't commit adultery you know those are a lot of thou shalt nots a lot of things are really gray areas and people get uh, very adamant about it when you're when you're convicted of it that it's a sin you can get very adamant of this is a sin i've heard people who will go after people who smoke because they go you're you're, you're the temple of God. How can you put smoke into the temple of God? I understand what they're doing. I understand why they're saying it. But just because they're convicted of that does not necessarily mean everybody should be convicted of it. And those same people who will be convicted of polluting their, their body with smoke go out and are gluttonous and eat way too much and are, are weighing too much. You've got to be consistent. If you're going to be that strict, you better be consistent. And even then, you shouldn't be that strict because it's going to be between God and the person. God is willing to do much more than, than a father would. And we want to be able to understand. We want to fall in love with God and know that he is generous. Too many people come to God on one of two extremes. The name and acclaim it's almost demand that God give them everything. God give me, give me, give me, give me because you know I've given you this and you promised you know and I'm going to get my 
I'm going to give you all this money above the tithe, and you're going to, I'm planting my seeds so that you will give me the money tree in my backyard. Right. And then we got the other side of the coin where people are saying, God, if you would just please maybe think about giving me some kind of blessing. Very rarely are people in the, in the balanced middle area saying, God, I'm looking for what you're going to give me that's going to be for my good. Not demanding from God, not commanding him to, to give. Will he bless the tithes and offerings? Yes. Does that mean it's going to necessarily be financial reward today? No. Here on earth. Here on earth. It may not, I believe we do get it on earth, but it's going to be something more subtle. It'll be getting that three or four extra miles per gallon on your car than, than your car deserves. It'll be having your tires last longer. It'll be having your trick rate go down or whatever. I mean, little subtle things we probably wouldn't even notice unless we're looking at our life carefully. Little subtle blessings that takes us to, am I looking for it? And then most of them are heavenly rewards. When we get to heaven, there's going to be rewards that we're not even aware of. Uh, and I can't imagine what it's going to be like to have to have, when we get to heaven and people come up to us and say, you know, I watched you, I saw you live this way, and your example is why I turned to God. You may never even have talked to them other than they knew you were a Christian for whatever reason. None of us do, which is the really good thing about God. He doesn't give us what we deserve. And if he did, we'd be in trouble. Because even if it was short of death, we don't deserve any of the blessings we have. We don't deserve the the properties and the roof over our head and the food on the table, all these blessings that he gives us because he is so gracious. And he gives them to the lost as well. Simple blessings that they will not recognize so that when they end up before him at the white throne judgment, then they go, well, what would you ever do for me? Well, I gave you air. I let you have a house. I gave you, gave you the ability to have a job. I, I put these, people, these Christians in your path to give you the, the gospel and you rejected all my, all my blessings. And they'll see things from a totally different perspective, just like we will. Because we will see things more from a spiritually per spiritual per perspective. And the verse 12 says, Therefore all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do even unto them. For this is the law and the prophets. This is the whole idea of we get back what we, what we sow. This is a, another way of sowing, sowing and reaping. What we sow, we receive, good or bad. And really, if you've ever been, if you've ever worked with the public, they teach you when you work with the public, especially if you're in a management position trying to calm people down, they teach you to be kind to them and nice to them, and usually you end up getting that back towards you. And sometimes that's very hard to do. When somebody is aggressively attacking you, you know, with words, I'm not talking about physical, but aggressively attacking you with words and attitude, it's sometimes very hard to be very kind to them and nice to them. But yet, if you do, usually they will calm down and, and, and respond in like manner. Uh, sociologists call it the law of reciprocity. If you're nice to somebody, you get nice. If, you're, if you attack, you come with an aggressive attack stance with somebody, you get an aggressive attack stance back. Just a fancy way to say you reciprocate with you. You get, you get what, you, what you show. But this is what God is saying. Do to others as you would have them do unto you. And there's no promise that they're going to be good and kind to you just because you're good and kind to them. They might even just take advantage of you. And God realizes that. But how many people take advantage of God in reality? Even most Christians try to take advantage of God quite often. You know, they take, care, take his grace for, for granted. They take his mercy for granted. Throw it back in his face saying, you know, well, you've never done anything for me. And expect him to do everything. And expect him to reward them for not doing anything that they could have, could have done themselves. And this is something that's very important. And this is what I shared with people when I wasn't... When I didn't, before I got the job at the prison and I didn't have a lot of money, God opened a lot of doors for me to make $100 here, $200 there. Did he also give me gifts? Yes, he also gave me gifts, but I, op I walked through doors that he opened up. Somebody would call and say, I need this job done. I, 
I need uh, my computer straightened out. I need the, the virus I got on my computer off. I need you know, this set up. Or the, you know, and little things would come up in bits and pieces. If I hadn't walked through those opportunities, I would not have gotten any of the other gifts that God provided because he would have just looked at me and said, well, you're not taking advantage of the things I give you. Why would I give you, just put it on your plate. God oftentimes is saying, here's, your, here's what you're going to do, and you're going to do some part of this. He does not just sit there and, and let us be lazy. His example on taking care of the poor was that. Don't reap the corners of the fields and don't glean your fields. When it, whatever falls, it's for the poor. The poor had to get up off their butts, get off their, out of their houses, and go do some work even, and to get their reward. And if they didn't, they starved. And God said, and God would have looked at him like, what are you doing up here? You, well, you, I starved to death. Well, why didn't you go to the field that was across the way? Well, I didn't want to. Yeah. God oftentimes puts it in there and says, what are you going to do? Are you going to do anything? He is a rewarder of good, and he wants to give us great blessings, but he also is not going to sit there and let us just sit around and do nothing. He wants, you know, somebody wants to say, well, God, I'd like to, I'd like to lead somebody to Christ. Well, just bring him to my front door so that I can, I can lead him to Christ. And God's going to say, no, you need to go where they're at. It doesn't work that way. You know, they're not coming to your door. God is saying, go out and do things it's right here. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And this is very critical. This, there's many religions that have similar sayings, but usually they, they say something more along the lines of do to others as they have done to you. And Jesus is saying very clearly, you initiate. We need to initiate righteousness to people. We need to initiate conversations of, of for salvation with people. Very rarely, and I'm going to say rarely because it does happen, very rarely does somebody come to you and initiate a conversation about God. You might, depending on how well you're living out Christ, you might get a few people, but that's, in my lifetime, it's been very few people that have done that. I have usually initiated the conversations with people, usually kind of sneaky. Like I said, I'd go into some place and say, you know, you, get, you just won't believe what God did for, did for me this weekend. Uh, or yesterday, or the day before, or whatever it might be, and just and plant that seed, <laughs> plant that seed, and eventually some people will say, well, tell me more. But we need to be starting the conversation with people. We need to go out and serve God in, ma in many ways. And I, and I love Claude and Blackaby because in experiencing God, he said, look around and see what God's doing and join him. Too many Christians say, stand where they're at and say, God, come over here and, and, and show me what I'm supposed to be doing. And God says, no, I'm over here doing things. Come on, get out there and do something. We need to get moving to serve God because it takes a step of faith. And without that faith, nothing is going to happen. We've got to go up. We've got to start. We've got to get into the word. We need to feed our mind because one thing that's very important when you're witnessing is God says, don't worry about what you're going to say, but there has to be something there to say in the first place. Now, he's not just going to throw things into your mind if you've never opened your Bible, never studied, never thought about you know, studying on these things. He's not all of a sudden going to pour my Bible verses into your head because you're all of a sudden willing to, to do this. But he will bring things to remembrance that you don't remember learning. It's amazing to me how many times I teach something and I'm, and I'm thinking that it's an original thought of my own and then I, I listen to something, somebody like Dr. McGee on Through the Bible and realize that I must have heard it 40 years ago when I, when I was young because he said the same thing. Besides the fact that there's really nothing new to learn, there's nothing new under the sun and there's really nothing new under the, in the Bible that hasn't been taught by somebody somewhere as long as it's true. And you read these old, old uh, teachers and everything, and all of a sudden you come across, oh, wow, God, I thought I was the one that originated that. I guess not. Because <laughs> if it's true, it's been taught. I can guarantee you, if it's true and it's, and it's biblical, it's been taught by somewhere, somewhere someplace. <laughs> you, you, God may, have, it may be new to you, and you may not have ever heard it, but somebody has taught it somewhere. And you do enough research, you're going to find <laughs> somebody who has taught whatever it is that you're wanting to, wanting to speak. 
And this is something I found oftentimes when I disagree with a, a point of view that the majority have and I'll go find something and God will show me something and I'll do some digging and sure enough, I'll find a number of people that have believed what I, what I've been t what I have been convinced of. Why? Because it's tr if it's true, it's going to be taught. It's going to. <clears throat> All right, verse 13. Enter into the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in, in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leads to life, and few there be that find it. These verses are a set of verses that should kind of scare some people because he says many will go through the wide gate and few will go through the narrow gate. In another place, Jesus will say, many in that day will say, Lord, Lord, didn't I? And they will give all this long list of really righteous, godly things. And what is he going to say? Depart from me. I never knew you. This is something that we need to be keeping in mind and not to fear, but we need to look at our life and say, God, have I come in the right way? Am I in a relationship with you? When you're in a relationship with God, you know that you're in a relationship with God. I have been in a relationship with God for 45 years and I know that I know that I know that I'm in a relationship with God and that I know him. I have no doubt that I will, when I stand before him, he's going to say, enter in. Because he and I have been in a relationship for a long time. Could you read your, your first uh, yeah. sentence in 13 again? Yeah, you said both. <laughs> Did I? <Yeah. laughs> Enter in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many be that go in thereat. Well, what's the difference between my sentence narrow? Enter by the narrow gate. Okay. You said straight. Straight is basically an old English word and it literally means a narrow pressed in activity. We still have the term, uh, I've been going through some hard straights. That just means that I've been going through some, a narrow place and hard pressed. And so this is what that is. So narrow is a, narrow is an okay definition because it, it is narrow, but straight has a deeper, it is difficult, it is hard, it's not just narrow, because I can go through a narrow place without having the difficulty and the, and the hardship involved. And straight is the better word, though it's not understood in this day and age as much. So narrow is the word they're using in the newer translations, and it's not, it's not completely wrong, but it, it loses its impact because it doesn't talk about the, the difficulty and the, and the pressing in of the sides. This gate is more when it's talking about straight. It's like walking on a, through a cleft where you're having to go on your side and you just barely can get through type of mentality. So it's a little stronger, little stronger there. He says, enter in at that difficult straight gate, the one that's pressing in, the one that you don't want to go in. Because it says, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. When I read this verse... What I think of is when they herd animals and they, and they start working animals to get loaded into trucks and, and stuff. You have the great big wide gates and fences that go wide and it narrows down to one destination. And that destination is destruction. It is for the animal too, usually when they get in that, if they get in that chute. Sometimes it's to brand them. Sometimes it's to take them to the slaughterhouse. But you think about that. And that's what I've always thought about when I see this verse. Wide gate ending at a narrow destination. However, for us, we enter in at the straight and narrow gate. But how much freedom is there after we get through that gate? The, the way of God opens up into a wide open area for us because of the freedom that he gives us once we've entered in through the narrow way. So I, I see this as a very interesting idea. Destruction is the end goal for the, for the world. Very narrow, very narrow. And when they get there, they're pressed in with no way to turn around. We start in not, turning, being, not wanting to turn around by going through a straight gate, but we, it opens up into freedom. 
How many of us, when we walk with God, have experienced that kind of freedom? We get out there and we're no longer bonded. We're no, not under bondage. We're not, not under oppression. Because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The world is burdened and they get even more burdened, especially the closer to death they get. Because they start getting worried about the afterlife at that point. We start celebrating <laughs> the closer we get if, we're, if we really know God. I'm looking forward to the day that I will step out of this world and into heaven and be with my Savior forever. Not to the point where I'm going to do anything dumb and foolish and try to end my life, but I'm looking forward to the day that this life is over and enter into eternity with him. And then when Paul says, you know, he was telling the, the believers, it's, I would rather be in heaven, but it's better for me to be here teaching you than to be in heaven. So until that day, I will be here. And as long as God's got something for me to do, to teach, to be an example, to, to build others up, I want to be here on this world. Not because I want to be here on this world, but because I want to see others <laughs> come to Christ. I want to see others grow in Christ and enter into the freedom that, that walking with him is all about. How many times have you witnessed to somebody and what do they tell you? Well, I just am not ready to give up. You know, whatever sin it is, they're not ready to give up. And my answer is, who's asking you to? Well, isn't that what Christians do? I go, well, you probably will give it up, but when it's time to give it up, it's not going to be a problem. All God is saying is, do you want to accept him? Do you want to accept him? Do you want to repent from the sins that you have and, and walk with him? Now, I know that down the road, they're going to give up whatever it is that they think is too strong a hold on them to give up. But that's not a requirement for becoming a Christian. Giving up my sin is not a requirement for becoming a Christian. I've met a lot of Christians who take this attitude of, well, when you get over your alcohol, we'll talk to you about Jesus. When you get out of your drugs, we'll get, you, know, you get out of your affair, you get out of this, you, you stop doing whatever sin, then we'll bring you, to, you know, bring you to Jesus. Jesus never said, get rid of your sin and then come to me. He said, come to me, and then he gets rid of the sin. <laughs> because we can't do it the other way around. And the world thinks that way. Well, when I get good enough, I can come to God. Well, you'll never be to God. You'll never come to God under those principles. It's like young couples saying, when I have enough money, we'll have kids. If you take that attitude, you'll never have kids. Because you'll never have enough money because whatever money you have, you'll get used to that lifestyle. And you still won't be able to afford the kids because you'll just change your lifestyle. We make the decision to do it and then God blesses that decision. We come in at a narrow gate, the hard gate to come in. But Jesus says, few will find it. And I don't know what few is and what many is. <laughs> you know, uh, all my job is is to present the gospel to as many people as I can, and, and if they accept God, then I have to assume that they're saved as long as they Try to, you know, as long as they get saved and they're walking with God, they're walking with God. If somebody tells me they're saved, I'm going to say, okay, I will ask them what that means. And once they've answered that, that's between them and God. Now, I will also look at their, the fruit of their life and say, okay, God, I'm going to pray that they get either saved or, or committed to you, one or the other, because our spirit should be able to connect with somebody. When somebody says they're saved, we should have a spirit a spiritual connection because the same spirit lives within us. And I know that there's some people that tell me they're saved and I know they're saved. I don't even have to interrogate them with the questions of what does it mean and everything. My spirit automatically says, yes, there's a, there's a connection. There's other people that say they're saved and I go, well, God, they might be, but I'm not, I'm not getting that connection between our spirit. You know. You know what's going on. And there are so many people that I talk to that will tell me, yes, I'm a Christian, and you, and you start talking to them, and they don't believe the Bible. They don't even believe in Jesus, which means I don't know what they're being saved by. And you start talking to them, and, and the more you talk to them, the less you believe that they're saved because you just don't have anything to, to be pinned on. Now, they either got saved and got, were stillborn and never, never developed, which is possible as well, I suppose, that they just never moved on with God, which is sad. But, and it's not my job to judge them, and it's not our job to judge one another, but it is fun when you come across somebody and you know that they're saved. It's just not even a question because your spirit just links together. 
But again, many are going to stand before Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. they, they would be the ones that are going to tell you, I was saved. Jesus gave the parable of the tares and the wheat and said, There's, they leave the tares in there until the, end, until the harvest. Why? Because he doesn't want us trying to pull and attack one another. It's for him to decide at the right time who's Christian, who's not a Christian, who's walking with him, who's not walking with him. And saying is out there. We're going to be surprised at who's in heaven, and we're going to be surprised by who's not in heaven. Because there's going to be people, people you go, well, gee, they were in church every week. They seemed to know what they were doing. They knew their Bible. They, they even went door knocking when the doors were, you know, when they were offering. They were at the revivals. And, we've, and, we not, and maybe we won't find them in heaven because they didn't know Jesus. It was just religious activities. And there's going to be those other people that we're going to look at and go, how'd you get here, God's grace? Yeah, this verse 13. Now that just applies to all of us who uh, claim to be Christian, right? It doesn't apply to all the Hitlers of the world or those that are totally unrepentant or uh, not saved. Are these all those that think they're believers? <coughs> No, this is all people who aren't believers are entering into the wide gate. Those are the ones that are going to believe that, that they believe they're saved and they're not. It'll be those who believe in other religions and, and have their whole faith in their other religions that is going to fail. It could even be the Hitlers of the world who aren't caring. But even, even with a Hitler, he thought that he was doing good things in, in many ways in his distorted mindset. All of mankind are in that verse. Matter of fact, both because it says for us, enter into the straight gate. And then it says for white is the gate that leads to destruction. So the one that the verse is really focusing on is those of us that are Christians that are walking through the narrow straight gate. And then it says there's another gate that most of the world is going to go through. We have a choice to go through the straight gate. If you don't go through the straight gate and the straight narrow gate, then you're going through the, the wide gate. Giving the gospel, sharing the truth with people is so important because our goal is to get them away from that gate. Uh, if you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress, it's a wonderful book of, and he starts out with all these trials just getting to the narrow gate. Okay, And he started out, starts out with a friend who they get into this trouble and he, his friend says, well, nothing but trouble has happened to me since I met you. I'm leaving. And he left. Then he gets tricked into going the wrong way into righteousness and, and, and works and everything. And then he finally gets to the gate. Finally gets to the gate. So it's a great picture of how easy it is to be sidetracked. And many will get sidetracked. Many people get wrapped up in religion. And religion is how do I work to please God? And not what Christianity, which is a relationship with God. And it's a very different world. When we're in a relationship with God, we do what pleases him because we want to please him, not because I'm trying to earn something from him. Religion's all based upon how do I earn my place. And sad to say there are many people in many churches, Christian churches, that are trying to earn God's pleasure with them. And they sometimes are the busiest people in a church. And I've met some of them in my lifetime. Very active, very much doing everything, but you, you start talking to them and they really don't believe the Bible. They don't believe in Jesus. All they believe in is this work. So, and you can picture them in there sitting there. Okay, God, I've got this great big pile of good works. You're going to accept me sooner or later. And it's really sad that that's the way they are doing it. Why are Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses some of the most active people on, on knocking on doors and witnessing? Because if they don't, they don't go to heaven. Matter of fact, if they don't, they don't earn the, the, the eternal life side of it on this world because they don't really believe you go to heaven. They believe you exist here on earth. But you have to do all these good works and have your good works outweigh your bad, which is why they're so active. And it's really sad that these people following false religions are more active than, than most Christians just because they don't have to work at it. And it's a really sad thing. Announce that there's a work day. Announce that we need Sunday school teachers or nursery workers or people to knock on doors. And you get the same small percentage of people coming out to do just about everything in a church. And it's a very sad thing. It's true, but, it, but it's sad. And 
It's not just churches, unfortunately. It's pretty much in any organization, only about 10 or 20% of the people do all the work in those organizations. Now, the smaller the organization is, the larger your percent might be, just because you know, three or four out of 10 or 20 is, is a better number than, <laughs> than having 100 and only getting the, the 10 out. But even in a small group, you still have pretty close to 10 or 20% is the ones that come out and do things. And all because it's a relationship with God, and we should be motivated by that relationship. For people who've had good parents, your desire was to obey your parents, not because your parents were going to love you more because you were being obedient, but just because you loved your parents enough because they were being kind, you, you tried to do things that pleased them. Not because, okay, well, if I do enough good things, mom and dad are going to feed me tonight. No, if you had good parents, they were going to feed you even if you were in trouble. They were going to feed you. Uh, you didn't have to do a bunch of good, good deeds for them. You know, what are you doing? So, well, I'm trying to earn dinner tonight. I've got to go, I've got to do this, that, and the other. I've got to go mow the lawn and, and wash the car and, you know, get the laundry done so that you'll feed me tonight. No, and, and we laugh at that, but yet so many people will try to do that with God. How many good things do I have to do to please God? And God is saying, come in the narrow way, the straight way, the hard one to get into. And it is hard to get into. Why? Because it goes totally against our flesh. I have to give up anything that I can do to please God and allow him to be the one that does it. I surrender everything and say, God, I can't do it. I need you. That goes against human nature. And many times when you're witnessing, you're going to go, well, it you'll hear something like, well, it can't be that easy. Well, it is, but you obviously find it difficult, so it really isn't that easy, is it? <laughs> to go against your nature and surrender everything is, go, is difficult. I, I know this one person I witnessed to, and he told me that he will not humble himself to anybody or anything, and I'm going, you won't even went to the God of the universe? And he goes, no. That's sad. Because at the end days, at the white throne judgment, he is going to kneel and humble himself before God. It won't be willingly, but he'll do it. We need to be looking at this going in the narrow gate, calling people into the narrow gate, not allowing them to just say, well, you know, whatever I do, it's going to be okay. And this is our world today. You know, Jesus is so narrow. He says there's only one way, and that he's the only way. There's, what about? And they'll give you 100 different excuses. Satan has a lot of lies. For every truth that God has, he has hundreds of other lies and justifications for doing wrong. And when it comes down to religion, it's, he has a hundred different ways to do religion, and he doesn't care which one we choose other than Jesus because he, get, he gets them to come to hell with him. You know, if they want to believe there's no God, that's fine with him. He has no problem with that. They want to worship him. He's really happy with that because that's what he wants anyway. If they want to say, well, I just want to do good works and please God, he's going, okay, be my guest. You do all the good works you want. Because he knows that it's not good enough. He has all these different ways to try to sucker people into hell with him. When it comes to how to behave, everything that God says. God says that, we're to, that marriage is one man and one woman for a lifetime. And he brings in, well, just get divorced. You know, if, you're not, if you're not getting along, just divorce each other. It's no big deal. Live together. It's, you know, it's the same thing. Uh, you know, have homosexual, homosexual marriage you know, and whatever. You know, no, go, go have your animal. It doesn't really matter what you do. You know, just do what you want. Whatever makes you feel good as opposed to God's rules. And he does this over and over and over again because he doesn't care what you, Satan doesn't care what we do as long as it's not God's way. Now, any other way but God's way is fine by him because it's the wrong way and he knows it. And this is why we need to be living, lifting up Christ in all that we do and, and having him draw. Because it says the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that perish. And for those who are going to perish, it's always going to sound foolish. I have to do what? I have to give up any opportunity of pleasing God and, and just accept that gift? That's way too easy. I'm going to go this other direction and find out another, another way to God because your way is silly. It's too easy. You can't be that, that way. Well, obviously it's not easy because they won't do it. 
Kind of reminds me of Naaman when he was told, told to uh, go wash in the River Jordan to get rid of his leprosy seven times, you know, wash seven times, and he goes, I'm not doing that. That river's dirty. Luckily, he had a servant said, well, if he'd asked you to do something really hard, wouldn't you have done it? And he goes, of course. He goes, well, at least try. <laughs> and he went in and seventh time came out clean. So often we look at God and say, God, what you're asking is too easy. Why is it easy? Because I'm not involved. <laughs> I don't have to do anything. I'm just taking your yoke and following what you do. God blesses that activity because it's total surrender to the master. Total surrender. That's all he asks for. Total surrender is not easy. I've had many people ask me, well, how do you get to this place spiritually? My answer is always surrender. Well, how do you surrender? You do it. Now, how do you surrender? If the police were outside our door saying, come out with your hands up, you surrender by coming out with your hands up. You just, you, you give up. The funny thing about spiritual growth is while you're struggling to get there, it seems so difficult and so hard. When you finally surrender and get there, at least in my case, I like, want to kick myself and go, why did I make things so difficult? This was so easy. I, I fought and struggled and, and worked hard at this, and it never came, and all of a sudden, I just gave it up, and God said, thank you, here you go. Here's your peace. Here's your peace. Here's, your, here's, your, here, here's what you wanted. When you just give up and surrender, which is why I say the longer we walk with God and the more we've learned to surrender, the easier it gets because we kind of get to the... We, usually, if we have any intelligence whatsoever, we kind of get to the point where I just need to surrender. And we start surrendering. We start learning how to surrender. And then we surrender more and more, and God makes it easier and easier to surrender each time. But those first times of surrender, when we sit there and we fight God and we argue with God and we go, God, you know, how do I do this? I'm, gonna, I'm working real hard at this, God. I really, I really want victory over this. And God's saying, well, would you just surrender? Cast your cares upon me. Cast your burden on me. Take my yoke upon you. It's easy and light. And that yoke that he takes, he bears the burden, and he already has borne the burden at Calvary, and he just allows us to be guided, guided with him, if we will just let him do it. And it's not easy, and I understand that it's not easy. That's part of the straight path. It's tight. It's hard. But the more we get used to it, the easier it gets. And the easier it gets, the more victory we see, and the more at peace we get to be with God, because we start... We quit fighting against following him and just taking and putting everything on him. Will we ever be perfect at it? Unfortunately, probably not in our lifetime. Is it possible? No. We have Elijah who went to heaven without dying. We have Enoch who went to heaven without dying. They apparently got as close to God as you possibly could and got to go home without, without having to go through death. So I guess technically it's possible. Will we? I doubt it. Out of, the, out of the trillions and billion, uh, quadrillion people or so that have lived on this earth, only two have gone to heaven without, yeah. without dying. I don't think it's going to be very often that we're going to see it. But didn't those two people have direct guidance from God? Couldn't we have direct guidance from God? We serve the same God. So apparently did Elijah and Moses and, and David and Abraham and Noah. None of them seem to have, have the benefit of it. We have, the same, we have the same ability for it. But this is why I keep saying God has the same gifts for us. Everything that he's done can be done and can happen again if we will just let him. Most of us are, and myself included, are too stubborn in too many areas to allow God to, be, to give us total victory. And it takes a great humil humility for, you, for us to allow him to give us those victories. And usually, in my case... It's surrendering to him and him giving me the humility in that area to get the victory. Uh, and I've shared with you many times in, in my walk with God, I've, I've basically heard him say, are you ready to give this up? Oftentimes, especially when I was younger, my answer was, no, I'm not ready to give that up. And then, then the pressure would start on. And the trials and the hardships as I struggled with what I knew he wanted me to get rid of, but he wasn't ready to surrender. 
when I finally learned to surrender, it would just disappear in most cases. I didn't have to work at it because he took it away. Whether you want to say he crucified it or took it away or whatever term you want to use, when I totally surrendered and said, God, I'm tired of this particular area of my life, he took it away. God, I'm tired of this sin in my life and I really need you. I cannot get victory over this. And God says, okay, fine. But as long as we want to struggle and try to make it happen, he's quite a gentleman. He'll let us continue to try to struggle and, and be unsuccessful because he's not going to let our flesh stand before him. We're not going to be able to stand before, God, I got victory. Look at the victory I got in this area of my life. And if, if I'm in there, it's not going to be, it's not going to be, be victorious. God, I just surrender. I want you to take this away. Doesn't mean that I go out and make provision for it. You know, if I'm wanting to, because that, that's not surrendering to him. That's not giving it up if I'm making provision for it. And this is what I've shared with the alcoholic gets out, you know, stops drinking and they leave their, they, 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 they leave their alcohol in the, in the kitchen sink, you know, under the kitchen sink just in case they need it. Well, if you're making provision for your flesh, that just in case will be a need. It will happen. It won't be, you know, you, you've got it there. You made it easy. It's bad enough, bad enough to struggle and have to go to the store and buy the stuff again uh, or go someplace where you can commit the sin. But when you make provisions for it, it's not going to be. Uh, a man who gives up pornography yet keeps a stack of books or the codes to all of his internet sites uh, around just in case. <laughs> okay, the just in case is going to happen. Is going to happen. They're not going to be victorious if they keep that mindset. They have to get rid of it all and let God give them the victory. And so this whole line of what we look at, God wants to bless us. He wants to give us good things. He wants to have a relationship with us that makes us victorious. We're the limiting factor on that. How much will we trust him? How much will we surrender our life to him to crucify our flesh so that he can live out in us? And it's an amazing thing when you think about how God works. And you look at your victories in your life and say, yes, God did it. God gave me that victory. And it's so much, such a vital place. All right, well, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love us and you care for us. We ask that you go with us today. Lord, give us many opportunities to share Christ with others. And give us the boldness and the humbleness to walk through those opportunities and share you with people so that your spirit will guide. And Lord, if there's anybody that doesn't know you that's listening to this, that they will admit that they're a sinner and recognize that they deserve punishment and accept your gift of eternal life and salvation and a relationship with you for, their, for eternity. In your son's name, amen.